Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. All right, how we doing, North Campus? I see you guys with more energy. You get a little more energy every week. We got a lot of um, new people in the house at North Campus, honestly, because we're two months old. But it lo- I love seeing you guys bring energy. So how many of you ready to get started with Enjoy Life today, man? Brand new series. Uh, my name is Bryant, lead pastor of your first time here. South Campus, make some noise if you are excited to be here. And um, we're going to get started in just a second. So here's kind of like our ongoing announcement. If you... Uh, as best you can, if you try to plant yourself same service, same time every week, same campus, you'll get the same amount of live on stage and live simulcasting. Everything we do is live. And I just constantly want to remind us, um, literally today in both services, one of our campuses, um, South specifically, there would not be enough seats for everybody. There wouldn't be enough seats for you if two months ago we hadn't launched this campus. And so I want to keep at the forefront. Our goal is to tear away every unnecessary barrier to people connecting with Jesus. We serve a savior that was for the city, for the neighborhood, for individuals, and ultimately for the world. And we are the physical rep of Jesus, which means we are a church for the city, for the neighborhood, for your adult kids, for the people who have never heard and never been reached yet. And one of the greatest bears, if they can't have a seat at optimal times, when we're talking about this extraordinary message and lifting up Jesus in worship. So I just want to remind you, as you take up your cross and follow Jesus to every once in a while, um, see a message via live simulcast, and that is thick with sarcasm in case you weren't picking up on it. It is all about Jesus and connecting people to Jesus. And if you are giving, serving, and sacrificing, because our worship, I, I think, ultimately is worth that, then you have a direct impact on what God is doing as this thing is growing and lives are being changed. So I want us at both campuses to give it up for people who realize that the mandate is to go even if it's across the road so that more people can hear the message of Jesus. Can we just put our hands together for those people? Do not lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing, all right? Would you guys stand with me at both campuses? And I just want to get us started with prayer, and we're going to get rolling into what God has for us. We did not come to just show up and sit in a row and check some figurative box. We came to meet with Jesus and for the Spirit of God to do something that you will not experience anywhere else. And so in this moment, that's what we want to pray for both campuses. If you're watching online, Jesus, we thank you that we can just be here today. We thank you for this movement. We thank you that when we gather together and you're at the center, extraordinary things take place. And I pray today for individuals who maybe are on the outside of 
really understanding who you are and, and whether this is even real or not. I pray that this would be the day, even if they don't cross the line of faith, you would start to tear away some barriers that maybe have gotten in the way of really seeing who you are and what you are actually inviting them into. And I pray that you would move in them and that we would rep Jesus well, that when they leave like Jesus, they would be loved, they would be accepted, and that they would know that we want something for them. We do not want something from them. And I pray for those of us who followed you a long time. Lord, we in this moment, and I say this and pray this aggressively, we push back at any just game where we sit and rose and we listen to things and we sing songs without inviting you to change us, not because you're after our begrudging submission, but because you have something so much better for our lives than what ultimately in many cases we settle for. And so do your thing as a gathering, as a body, as a movement. We open ourselves up in this moment to what you wanna do, how you wanna speak, and where you wanna lead us. And we're praying this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. You guys can be seated at both campuses. So tell me like um, the top couple words associated with Christians or Christianity when that, that title or that word is brought up. Like what are the top couple words? Like um, several researches have been done, Barna did research, that like when people hear the word Christian, what do they think of? So on the negative side, um, you can probably guess some of those terms. It's uh, hypocritical. Um, it's for some homophobic. For others, it's judgmental. And it, like that may not be your experience. I'm just telling you, I didn't make that up. That, like that's a lot of the word association with Christian. That's what I think. Like even on the positive side, so like positive side, okay, what is Christianity or what is Christian? Like, what do you feel? Because a lot of times it's a feeling. Like, what do you feel? What's your word association? You might come up with like faithful, um, generous. And again, I know some of you are like, are you kidding me? I'm just saying if you've had a good experience. Um, but that like, that's the words that you come up with. You know what word never shows up in word association with the term Christian? Like never, never heard it. Nobody has said this if you were to ask that question. And that word is really the word that we're talking about in this series, happy. Tell me what you think of when you um, think of Christians. They're just happy. Like that, that is never associated. Like we get accused of a lot of things. Maybe some of it is um, justifiable. A lot of it is, some of it's not justifiable. But with all of the things, either positively or negatively, we stack up when we hear Christians, happy is not one of them. People are not going, hey, I don't know if I know, you know what they believe or if I really can embrace that, but dang it, those people are happy. Man, they enjoy life. Like nobody has ever said that. Can I get a witness at the South or North Campus? I mean, maybe you're different, but that's not. And here's the thing about it. We're okay with that. Like, in fact, our theology has kind of built that into the process, and, and we'll use terms like this. Like, God is really after your holiness. He's not about your happiness. And I just want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, we have some misguided views of happiness, but the whole context of following Jesus was not. And honestly, this is what I grew up with for a long time. Not because really anybody um, necessarily told me this, but internally, I just felt it. Like, I, I knew I wanted to follow Jesus but all the way through college, and honestly, I think part of like seminary, I just had this idea of, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna try to do what Jesus wants, and when I am really miserable, it probably means I am in the center of God's will and I'm taken up and carrying my cross. Like in, in essence, the message became, follow Jesus, it's gonna suck. And that's a lot of, like I know that's nervous laughter, but that's what a lot of us, if you were able to just say out loud what you felt at times, that's what you felt. And we've kind of become okay with disconnecting Jesus from this too. He wants your holiness, but he doesn't want your happiness and nothing could be further from the truth. And I'm not talking about like pain-free, problem-free. 
Like Jesus handled all that when he's like, hey, just by the way, guys, in this world, you are going to have trouble. Just mark that down. But this isn't about that, and it's not mutually exclusive, but God has come to invite you into something that's not, hey, follow me, and it's gonna be terrible. And you see this all throughout scripture. So this is like my big angst behind this series, really two things. Um, The reason I wanna do this, number one, you gotta preach about something. Um, Number two, I'm just kidding. Number one reason is, like, we don't really know that God desires our happiness. And the second thing is, and this kind of plays off of that inadvertently, is that we begin, because we don't understand God, we don't understand his invitation, and it's been so misused and abused, that we inadvertently undermine our own happiness. Now, here's the thing. Like, I think all of us experience this. I think it might be worse for me because of what I do. But like, you've all had the experience where you watch somebody kind of like a train wreck in slow motion where they're undermining and sabotaging their own happiness in their own life. And like, I've had that too at certain seasons when somebody looked in and were like, what are you thinking? But you watch how they communicate in marriage. You watch maybe what they prioritize with kids. You've got a friend and they need to get help with something and they won't get help, whatever it is. But you're on the outside and all of us have crystal clear insight into other people's stupidity. And we're watching like in slow motion as they're moving down a path that's not gonna end well. And there's so much angst for me around that where I just wanna go, listen, do you not know? And here's the thing, come on, can we all relate with this? Life has enough unavoidable pain on its own. You don't need to create it. Like there's some stuff, you can do everything right and it still doesn't end well because we live in a sin infested world and Jesus comes along to go, listen, there is the promise that things are not always gonna go perfectly, but I'm telling you, I am inviting you into something better. So here's, I think, the big dynamic of why we misunderstand this and why sometimes without realizing it, we, we kind of sabotage ourselves. And it's really the dynamic intention around these two words. We don't understand the dynamic between pleasure and happiness. Now, hang with me, because for some of you, I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. If you're at South Campus, you're podcasting or listening in jail or wherever you're at this morning. But like, I'm telling you, these things are not mutually exclusive, but you have to understand the dynamic if you're ever going to be led into what Jesus is offering your life. Now, here, just real quick, let me chase a rabbit because it's worth chasing. Here's the thing. Happiness is always about who, it's not about what. Like, here's, here's the deal. If you make happiness about what, and I think at some level we kind of know this, but we still are seduced into chasing stuff thinking it's gonna provide happiness. But if it is about what, it is always gonna lead to what else? Like, if happiness is about what, you're gonna get to a place to go, okay, is that it? In fact, let me say this. Like, if your definition of happiness or your what, as I would define it, is if as it depreciates or as it ages, if you find that you are not happy anymore, you were never happy to begin with. Like happiness is all about who, it's not about what. And listen, you know this. Like for some of you, um, if you ever have gone to a third world, um, on a, to a third world on a mission trip and you look at people that are in squalor and they have conditions that are unimaginable, And those people are somehow not just like, well, they find some kind of joy because we like to parse joy and happiness. Like those people are happy and you look at it and go, we're from the West. What in the world do you have to be happy about? And the answer is it's not a what because happiness rarely has anything to do with what. It has everything to do with who. Like here, if you're a parent, you know this. You are only as happy as your unhappiest child. 
Is that true? For whatever the lights, I can't see you. So any of your feedback is really good. So when I hear you laugh or I hear a, hear a uh or whatever, I know um, God's doing something. But all of us relate to that. Like, that's just true. Like, for some of you, the, a more extreme example, like you're walking through the pain of infertility right now. And you're praying that God's gonna come through. And, and if we were to sit down with you, your happiness and what you're leaning into for the future, it is all about who. Like here, here's the other thing, like here's what I know. When you get to the end of your life, you're not going to have possessional regrets. When you get to the end of your life, you're gonna have relational regrets. It is all about who. And I know some of us are like, no, I don't really need anybody in my life. And I just say this with as much grace as I can muster. That's because you've gotten to a place in certain areas of your life where you can't fix it anymore. So now you're just lying to yourself that you don't need anybody around you and nothing could be further from the truth. Happiness is all about who. And so Jesus shows up on planet earth and goes, listen, it's not just about the who that I've placed in your life. And that's a big deal. But ultimately the ultimate who is me, Jesus. And I've come to offer you something something that you're not going to find anywhere else. Like, think about this. Think about when the shepherds showed up to, they didn't show up anywhere. I got that reversed. When the angels showed up to the shepherds in the field, how many of us know the Christmas story? Um, And the shepherds are in the field and they're way outside of the religious system. Like they had given up. They're out there trying to put out their blunt and like get ready for the angel. They had just given up on religion. And the angel shows up and what does the angel say? Like there is a savior that's being born in a manger and his name is Jesus, Yeshua. And he is the essence of good news that is gonna lead to what? Help me out, North. Okay, got getting nothing here. So help me out, South. I'm just gonna preach to you right here the rest of the morning. Good news of what, South Campus? I'm gonna give you guys one more chance, all right? North Campus, good news of what? Great joy. Like basically this, the essence of good news is what is being born in a manger. Not good advice, but good news. And it is found in Jesus. And what the implication was is that when you enter into relationship with Jesus and decide that you're gonna follow Jesus, you are literally entering into relationship with good news. That is the who. And you cannot experience and you cannot encounter and you cannot follow good news without that good news, that person of Jesus ultimately leading you to great joy and happiness because those two things are inextricably linked. I came to give you good news and that good news ultimately is going to lead to your fulfillment and happiness and if you're not experiencing that right now it may not be Jesus it may be you that's what I'm inviting you into but the big dynamic is you understanding as I offer this invitation Jesus would say the difference between your pleasure and your happiness now before I get there I'm gonna circle back around one day Jesus with a couple of his guys and Jesus has these several moments that I so love because he's the master communicator is Jesus, right? But he still has moments where he's teaching something, he gets halfway through and they're just not tracking, which is my life every single Sunday. No, I mean, I'm not, not the whole thing. I'm not throwing shade on you. I'm just saying, like, I'll tell a joke at the 9 a.m. I'll come to the 1045, nobody will laugh. I'm like, I know that's funny because they laughed at the 9 a.m. So that's not on me, that's on you. Or, or a point that I'm trying to make, and when I can see the people in the seats, um, I'll just look and go, like, nobody's tracking with that. I love that Jesus had those moments. So he's telling these guys, he's teaching these guys about halfway through, he's like, they're not getting it. And it, it wasn't on Jesus, it was on them. But 
he begins to change kind of word pictures. And then he drops these couple statements that sets us up. And it's where I'm gonna circle back around later to what I just introduced in John 10.10. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. And if you haven't downloaded the CC app, I'd love for you right now to download it if you've got good Wi-Fi in here. Um, And you can see it on the screen. But I would love for some of you to look it up because I need a drink of water. And this, by the way, is an answer to the emails about my water bottles that severely disturbed some of you because I was not doing my part for the planet in recycling. So this is, that is, that's what that is. And that's not even a joke. That's like why I have this up here. I'm trying to get used to it, but I'm doing my part. John 10, 10. Here's what it says. You guys with me at North Campus? You with me at South Campus? It says that the thief comes only to do what? And to do what? And to do what? And so John's just saying what um, all of us know. Like we can interpret the verse. He's saying any person who steps into your life to kill stuff, to steal stuff, and to destroy stuff, they're characterized as a thief. Any relationship that steps into your life to kill stuff and to destroy stuff and to sabotage your future happiness is a thief. It can be a person, it can be a relationship, it can be specific, it can be general, but that's just the definition of a thief. Now, here's the deal. All of us have public enemy number one, and it's not who we think it is, but we wanna blame it all the time on the devil, like the devil, the devil, the devil. Practically, that is not public enemy number one for you. And I've said this before, but you blame all kind of stuff on the devil that the devil had nothing to do with. Like my tire went out and the devil just doesn't want me to go to community group and he's sabotaging. No, it's because you've been riding with no treads on your tire for six months and you should have got that thing in for maintenance. The devil had nothing to do with that. That is on you, right? Or you, this whole idea of like, I'm just being attacked. I'm being attacked financially. And I just like, this is the devil's after. The devil never got on your whatever, on your laptop and started buying stuff on Amazon over the last six months or overspending what you're bringing in for the last five years. Like that had nothing to do with the devil. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? Like that's not public enemy number one for you. Let, let me ask you this way. Who in your life has the greatest potential to steal from you and to kill things in your life, a relationship, a dream, your future? Who has the greatest potential to sabotage and destroy your future? And the, I'm not done yet. Let me tease this out. I'm not asking, like you don't want to respond any other time. And then when I'm trying to set it up, you want to jump in. The, the answer is this. I'm going somewhere. Calm down. The answer is the same for all of us. But no, for real, you know the answer already. Like you, you do, you, everybody knows the answer. It's the person that you look at in the mirror every single day. There's nobody that has more potential to kill stuff and to steal stuff, to be a thief in your life than you do. Like public enemy number one for me and public enemy number one for you is you. Like you are your own worst enemy. Nobody has hurt, sabotaged, and let me down more than I have. And he, okay, so here's how I know this. Look back to your, to your greatest regrets. And I'm not saying you haven't had horrific stuff done to you. I know you do. I know there's lots of stories, but just look at a lot of your greatest regrets and just kind of play it out. Like, who is the common denominator in all of those decisions? Like, for real, just like, like you were the one that drank it. You were the one that smoked it. You were the one that rolled it. You were the one that leased it. You were the one that bought it. How far do I need to go? You were the one that dated it. 
And in some cases, you were the one that slept with it. And then for some of you, you married it. Like my point is, who was the common denominator in all of those decisions? Like you were. And I'm not telling you if you're sitting next to your wife to start getting them to second guess your life choices. I'm just saying for some of you, that's your story. There's some things in your life where it didn't end well. The marriage didn't end well. The thing that you thought was gonna bring happiness, it let you down, it overpromised, underdelivered. And the common denominator is me. The common denominator is you. And so Jesus just says what we know. The greatest potential to steal from you, to steal your future happiness and pleasure is actually you. Thank you. Yeah, just, I'll just let it roll through the auditorium. Come on. And here's what we want to do. Let me just go to this. Our, our, our mechanism is to blame. That's all the way back to Genesis chapter three. And by the way, if you're a skeptic, we say this almost every week. We believe Genesis because Jesus referenced Genesis. If you're a skeptic, don't look at Genesis and all the weird stuff. Look at Jesus. Did he rise from the dead? We believe historically he did. And then Jesus referenced Genesis. So go with the guy who died and then found a way to bring himself back to life. I don't understand all of Genesis, but I'm just gonna believe you. That's why we believe it. And in Genesis, Genesis 3, sin enters the world. What's Adam's first response? Like Jesus confronts, he's not like, well, I just wanna take full responsibility for everything that I've done. And this, no, he's like, the woman you gave me caused all of this to go bad. And by the way, and this really is, if I were to tease, this is Adam going, by the way, I would never say this in so many words, but the woman that you gave me, meaning really Eve is the reason all of this went down. If she wasn't here, this wouldn't have happened. And let's, let's kind of move it. If you wouldn't have made her and put her in the garden, none of this would have happened. So I think you and Eve need to talk about this and what you've done and maybe come apologize to me because the only reason this has happened is because of you guys and the woman that you put in the garden with me. Like that's how it all got started. And that's what we all do, man, woman, we, we wanna blame it. But Jeremiah says it this way, that the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. And it's a puzzle that nobody can figure out. Like we are our own worst enemy and it's what causes us to reject the one who created and ultimately manufactured us and offers us happiness and that's Jesus. And then John keeps going. He makes this extraordinary statement at the end of this verse. The thief comes only to steal, only to kill, only to destroy, But I, this is the contrast, I, Jesus, have come that they, you, us, North and South Campus, everybody, everywhere, 2,000 years later, that you may have life. Now, Jesus is in the middle of this, and if you were actually there, I think it was like a, hey, you guys, I'm offering you life. And they're staring back at Jesus to go, we we already have life. We're standing in front of you. Like, that's not really emotionally satisfying for us. And Jesus is like, okay, let me say it another way. Like, not just life. And then he says this at the end of the verse, I've come that you, would have life to the full. Like that's one of the ways that you decipher the voice of God. The voice of God is never going to lead you into the place of shame and guilt. The voice of God is never gonna lead you into a place where you sabotage and hurt you and hurt the other relationships in your life. He has come that you might have life to the full. That's one of the ways you know if you're leaning into the voice of God because that's what he's offering you. Like some of you grew up with this, it's actually better translated in the New King James, actually the King James Version, where it says, I've come to give you life and life, how does it end? More abundantly. The the actual Greek lexicon, the, the Greek translation of this just says this, that offering you life that is not ordinarily encountered. 
Jesus is like, I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what somebody's told you. I don't know what your word association is with Christian or following Jesus, but that is what I came to give you. And by the way, let me just talk to Jesus followers for a second because we got a diverse audience and a lot of people um, listening and in the house that don't believe. But as Jesus followers, this should be the distinguishing factor of our lives. Not that everything is great, not that we're not walking through really difficult times. We've talked about that a lot recently. We talk about it almost every week. Jesus never promised everything's gonna work out, but this is the distinguishing factor. Not picket signs, not political parties, not what you wear, but the fact that you have encountered and are following Jesus. And even through dark times, there is a happiness and a joy that is available to you. And that's why he says, it's not ordinarily encountered. Like you would look around at your circumstance and what's happening in the world to go, why do you act like that? Why do you feel like that? Why are you happy at any level? And it's because it's all about a who. And as you begin to follow Jesus, there is the promise and invitation of life that is beyond what is ordinarily encountered to where you're not raising kids to exist. You're raising kids to be culture shapers and change the world because we have been given the offer of life. And it's not just for heaven when we die. That life is brought to earth right now to go, I cannot be in relationship with good news and not experience some form of happiness and enjoy because that is who Jesus is. And come on, one more thing. I, I gotta, I'm gonna go on this one more second and then I'm gonna move on. The, come on, church. Church, we are stewards of the extraordinary plan of God to invite people into relationship, to experience abundant life in a way that they cannot find it anywhere else on planet earth. Like if you have not, if, if you're listening and not sure if you believe, if you've never experienced that, if we haven't made you feel that way, if Christianity has not been that for you, I'm telling you, we failed you. And it's not that there's not sin. And it's not that there's not hard things that have to be talked about and stuff that, that honestly, like they're, they're destroying our life. And it's not that there's not hard moments and hard times, but even in those things, on the other side of that, as you follow Jesus, there is the irretractable promise of a life that is not ordinarily encountered. And so I just wanna tell you right now, if that's you, you just need to know that there is a savior, even if you haven't bowed your knee to him yet. And he would say to you today, despite your past, I love you and I care for you. And I see amazing potential in you, even if you don't see that potential. And I am offering you not this invitation to follow me and it's gonna be horrible. I am inviting you into an invitation to encounter life that is beyond what is ordinary because most people aren't experiencing it. And come on church, it's why we should give. It's why we should serve. It's why we should give our money away. It's why we should sacrifice because worship is worthy of sacrifice and we should give our lives away to the local church on mission with Jesus because it literally is the catalyst in the bridge for people encountering the happiness and joy and life that is only found in him. We need to do it with all of our hearts, with all of our hearts. And so he says, this is, this is what I'm inviting you into. And then John says this next in John 10, 11, and even if you haven't been around the church, you've probably heard this verse. He says, I, I am the good, this is Jesus, I'm the good, not average, because I'm not inviting you into average life. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays 
down his what? Lays down his life for the sheep. Like you just need to know. The context for all the Old Testament and the context for all the New Testament, it, there's just really one storyline. Like I know that we preach different series um, every month, but there's really only one message. It all points back to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. It's explaining what Jesus has already done. It's explaining what Jesus is going to do in the future. It's all, he is the central hero of all of Scripture. And, and in that, what you need to know is that the whole context is God sending his son Jesus into planet Earth to be a good shepherd. And a good shepherd always lays down his life for the sake of the sheep. You know why that's important? Because anybody who dies for you is for you. Anybody who gives up their life, nobody else has done that for you. Anybody who gives up their life for you is for you. And so John's drawing the contrast. Jesus, as he's speaking these words, is drawing the contrast. The thief, the thief is coming to steal stuff. The thief is coming to kill stuff. The thief is coming to destroy your future happiness. I've come so I could offer you life that I could give to you, that I could protect you. And you've got a decision to make. Like literally, legit, you've got to follow the thief and make that decision of whether you're going to follow the thief or you are going to follow Jesus as your good shepherd who is offering you life because he is for you. And here's the problem with that. Like, and maybe you know this a little bit, but, but the whole thing is a little bit offensive on the front end because Jesus is like, I'm the good shepherd and I think we can all get around that. But the second part is your sheep. And maybe you've heard this before, but like sheep, there's no other way to say it. They're kind of stupid. Like Jesus, seriously, man. Did you go to seminary? Like, I don't think that's how you best present a talk. Like you need to buffer it a little bit more. Like I'm not, I'm not stupid. And here's the answer to that question. Look at your greatest regrets. Like there's at least moments where you enter into this fear of stupidity because you bought it. You leased it. You smoked it, you rolled it, you drank it, you dated it, you slept with it, you married it. Like whatever your greatest regrets are, Jesus is going, that's just my whole point. Like all of us have a track record where some things did not work out well and we were all about pursuing our happiness and pursuing our pleasure only to get to the other side of it to realize it was not what we thought it was gonna be. And now we look back to go, it was stupid. It was a stupid decision. I didn't know what I was doing. And so Jesus says, a thief is wanting to lead you to a place where you destroy your future happiness. But I have come to give you something better. I am the good shepherd. I wanna lead you into something better than you're gonna find on your own and I am for you. So follow me, follow me, follow me. Now here's the thing, South Campus. You are your public enemy, number one. Like you're your worst enemy. You're not your only enemy. And all throughout scripture, it describes this entity of sin. And sin, the best way you could describe sin is this. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world. It has fractured everything. It's messed up everything. We're waiting for the day where Jesus lifts it from all of humanity for all time. But sin infests the world. And here's really the definition of the outcome of all sin. Sin always separates. Like this is your greatest enemy, number two. Sin, sin separates you from God. Now, it's not like God's gone anywhere, but any of you have parents, you know what I'm talking about. When your kid decides to go off the rails and not listen to a word that you say, it does something to the relationship. 
True. I heard one like groan. I need to know that you know what I'm talking about. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, like it does. And it's not that like you're not there for them and love them, but there's just this, come on, man. Like it, it just, it, it messes the relationship up a little bit. And so when you sin, it separates you in terms of just your connection with God. But here's the other thing. Sin always separates you from yourself. And what I mean by that is like that is the epicenter of where shame comes from, where guilt comes from, this, this misguided view of your self-worth. And not that God sees you or views you according to any of those things, but sin wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the things it kills is your own self-worth and your own relationship with you that has you chasing things that weren't worth catching once you caught them. And not only does it it fracture and separate you from God and you from you, but ultimately it sabotages the relationships around you that matter to you the most. Like you could say it this way, insert it in this verse. Sin comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Public enemy number one is you. Public enemy number two is sin that has infested the entire world. And so you have an enemy from without and you have an enemy from within. And the bottom line of my message today is it all sucks. There is no chance of you being happy, but I just wanted to tell you that and we're gonna pray and you can go home. Like, what do you do? And see, here's the thing. You already know all that already. Maybe you didn't put those kind of words on it, but you already know already what I have said. You have experienced that with your life. So why do we undermine and why do we sabotage and why do we kill our own happiness? And here's the starting place in the series. We don't understand the dynamic and the, in the relationship between pleasure and between happiness. Now, I just wanna say this real quick because some of you have gotten such a misguided and misunderstood view. I'm not about to hate on pleasure. God created you with the capacity for both pleasure and happiness. That's not the issue. Like I say this all the time, go back to the Garden of Eden again. The way God got this whole thing rolling tells you a lot about God and about his desire for your pleasure. God created sunsets and like, I want you to enjoy those. And I want it to be this thing that actually wells up inside of you to go, man, God gave this to me. This is for worship. God's behind all this. I created food. I created Tex-Mex and barbecue. I created good wine. I created the animals. Not sure what he's doing with the cats, but over all the animals, like I want you to have dominion over them and I want you to enjoy. I've created all of that. And what a scandalous act of grace to give Adam a nap. And then to wake Adam up and, and Adam in God's infinite grace needs no game whatsoever. There's just one naked woman in the garden and there's him. And God says, I've created this beautiful gift of sex, not just for procreation, but for pleasure. And so I want you to enjoy sunsets. I want you to enjoy friends. I want you to enjoy barbecue. I want you to enjoy good wine. I want you to enjoy the, the entrepreneurial desires to grow and build stuff. Those are actually placed in your heart by God. I want you to enjoy sex. It's for pleasure, multi-orgasmic beans. I am the creator of all of that. And come on, how good am I? Worship me. Like, like that is the message of what God brought to planet Earth. I mean, even just think about it, like first miracle, there's gotta be one guy in Jesus' ear that's like, hey, do you wanna heal some people first? And Jesus is like, nah, let's just make wine. Like not malt liquor, not like box wine. I'm talking like, let's make good wine because I just wanna punctuate this point. Like God is good. And, and, and he desires to lead us 
into that good. The problem is not pleasure. God designed and created pleasure. I cannot preach that message enough. The problem is priority. Like the problem is not the marriage. The problem is when things get out of whack and all of a sudden your marriage becomes a codependent train wreck because you try to get out of it what it was never designed to give you. The problem is not you know, good wine and good friends. The problem is when it crosses a line into alcoholism because now it's become a means of self-medication. The, the issue is not your kids, these, these incredible gifts that God has given you to steward. The problem is when you begin to make them your little surrogate saviors and the place where you're trying to garner your happiness and you are literally destroying them under the pressure because they were never designed to give you that. And the issue is not your kids and the issue is not sex and the issue is not marriage and the issue is not, you know, Amazon is evil. Amazon was a good gift of God's common grace. The issue is priorities get out of whack and you start to worship the created thing over the creator. Let me, let me break it down for you this way. It's all about priority because happiness and pleasure are not mutually exclusive. Here's the problem. When you decide to prioritize your misguided views of pleasure over happiness, ultimately, you don't get either. Like, okay, let me say it this way. Can't tell if you're with me or not. The one leads to the other, but the other ultimately undermines the one. Like when you say, God, I want to, and we'll talk more about this next week, I want to pursue happiness as you've defined it. When you pursue happiness as God defines happiness, ultimately, you don't just get happiness, you get pleasure thrown in with it. But when you pursue your misguided views of pleasure, ultimately, you don't get pleasure and you don't get happiness. Like eventually, some of you know this, eventually that thing that was pleasurable, and by the way, pleasure is pleasurable. Like there's like, Pleasure is, like, it's good. And so that thing that was so pleasurable all of a sudden becomes a prison. Like, this is actually what I entitled my message. Like, communications team didn't want that, but, like, it's the, because they thought it sounded inappropriate, um, the pleasure prison. But, like, we're talking about Jesus. Like, it's inappropriate. So that's what's hitting iTunes this week. But, like, you know this, right? It's the law of diminishing returns, Like over time, what is good, what was satisfying initially, when it's out of its context, all of a sudden it just loses its pleasure. And it's not even that it's immoral. There's nothing immoral with taking time to do that. There's nothing immoral with whatever, prioritizing that. There's nothing immoral with, you know, I want to enjoy this. But you have prioritized it to a place where now all of a sudden the thing that was so pleasurable gets to the place where it starts to feel empty. You start to have regret. And the very thing that you were looking for, for pleasure and happiness, has become a prison for you. Like Paul says it this way. He's talking to some Romans and uh, Roman Christians, first century in Romans 6.16. And he, he says this and he puts this together so brilliantly. He says, don't you know? And literally Paul's like going, really? Like, do you not, do you not know that? Did you not know this? Did nobody tell you this? And I would say in, my call, in our culture, with, with where you're at today, for a lot of us, it's, you really didn't know this. You, you've been moved with cultural majority thinking that us doesn't understand this dynamic, and I get it. And so Paul's saying to you, like not in an in-your-face way, but, but don't you know that when you offer yourselves, that just means, yes, 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 I'll take one, I'll drink one, I'll sign on the dotted line, 
I'll go, yes, when you offer yourselves to someone or something as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey. Like whatever it is that you offer yourself to, you become a slave to. And I know the pushback on this. Like, no, 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 whatever you're talking about right now, like I'm not a slave to it. I'm choosing to do it. And Paul would go, no, you're not. Because anytime you start to say yes over and over and over and over again to something that you have the sneaking suspicion is starting to undermine your happiness, you have lost the ability to choose and you're not choosing anymore. And Paul's going, whatever you offer yourself to, you become a slave to that. And then he breaks it down for us and says, whether you're slaves to sin, which ultimately leads to death. And he's not talking about like, because you went out Friday night, you shouldn't have, you're just gonna drop dead. He's talking about, Sin always kills stuff. Sin killed a first marriage for some of you. Sin killed a dream that you had for the future. Sin killed something financially. Sin killed your view of you. But what you need to know is sin naturally, not even as a consequence. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus as your savior, the consequences for sin were taken care of at the cross. This is just natural cause and effect. Sin separates and sin always kills stuff. And Paul's like, when you offer yourself as a thief to sin, ultimately it kills stuff in your life that matters most or... And this is the alternative, and this is where he leans into Jesus, to offer yourself to obedience, which leads to what? One more time, obedience that leads to what? And that just means that literally like a right standing with God. And so Paul's like, I'm serious about this. Every day, every day, you have the choice to get up and offer yourselves in obedience to sin, and in our case, literally miss placed pleasures that are ultimately undermining your freedom and happiness. Or you can get up and offer yourself to your heavenly father who's made you a promise. Jesus would say it this way, follow me, follow me. I am the good shepherd and I'm for you, follow me. This is the invitation. Paul would say it this way. Paul talks about this all throughout the New Testament, that ultimately when you say yes to Jesus over and over and over again, and yes to where Jesus is leading you, ultimately you have peace with God. Again, not that God went anywhere, but when you were in this place to go, I wanna follow you, there's a connection with your heavenly father, there's a connection with your savior Jesus that you don't get any other way. You experience peace with God, but even more than that or with that, it paves the way for you to be able to have peace with yourself. Where all of a sudden, when you have peace with God, despite what I've done in my past, despite what I'm coming out of, suddenly I find this place where I'm okay with me. I'm at peace with me. And you know what that does? That equips you to make peace with other people around you. Until you find peace with God that leads to peace with you, you will never fully make peace with the relationships around you. And Paul's like, that is what Jesus is inviting you into. And by the way, guys, that is happiness. Happiness is all about who? It's not about what? And when you pursue the pursuit of misguided pleasures over happiness, you don't get pleasure and you don't get happiness with it. Okay, so Jesus would say it this way. When you sow in the right direction over a period of time, ultimately, you're gonna reap both happiness, the thing that you're after, and pleasure. But, but here's the thing, and this is, this is a lot of people in this room, this is a lot of people listening and watching, like this is where we're at, is that here's our problem, is that for a lot of us, when we feel unhappy, 
And can I just say this for a second? I think this is a whole series coming later on, but we're in a culture, I've mentioned this several times, where never in, I think, any other period are we more slaves to our feelings than we are now. And our feelings are the thing that validate us, and our feelings are the thing that there are truths. So whatever we feel, that's my truth. I feel it, that's my truth. And yet what I don't understand in, in an intellectual, honest level is that you've had so many seasons where your own truth led you to a place that you would do anything to go back and redo. I just say this with all the love I can. Your own truth means nothing. Your, your feelings validating you mean nothing. It's why Jeremiah said, your own feelings and your own heart betray you. They lead you into places that you don't wanna go. And so the problem is because it's like, it's my truth. I feel it, it validates it. So even if it's not for, right for you, because I feel it, I'm gonna go after it. And here's the problem, when you feel unhappy, you start to do something that ultimately helps you feel better. And in that moment, you start to reach for things, you start to prioritize things, you start to go after things, you start to pursue pleasure. And in that moment, Paul's going, you are becoming a slave to that thing. And it's all about priority. Your feelings are not the master of you, but you are prioritizing something that not only is gonna wear off, not only is the intoxication gonna go away, the pleasure's gonna go away with the happiness and you're going to be led to a future season to go, this is not what I bargained for and this is not what I wanted. And here's what I know, North South Campus and everybody listening, you already know that. You already know that. And so Jesus steps in to go, this is why I'm better. And this is why I'm a good shepherd. And this is why you need to know I am for you and I am inviting you in to something that is so much better and more powerful than you are ever gonna find on your own, but you have got to trust me, follow me. So I just wanna end with two questions real quick. You still with me at South Campus? Are you still with me at North Campus? So I just want to ask you two questions. And the first question is this, and here's, like, here's my, like, I don't know what this is, my admonition, my exhortation. But just be honest with you. Like, only a thief wants to kill, steal, and destroy things in your life. Only a thief would do that. And you owe it to yourself to be honest with you. And honestly, in a lot of cases, you owe it to the people around you. So, like, just, just be honest with you because any, any, any thief would want you to not answer this question. So, so just be as honest as you possibly can. Here's the question. Is there a pleasure that is slowly undermining your happiness? Is there a pleasure that is undermining your happiness? And maybe you're seeing it come to fruition or maybe it is a slow turn, but you have the sneaking suspicion and it's not even sin, it's not even illegal. There's not, in context, in fact, there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever, but you know you're in a place where you have begun to misprioritize some things. And here's what I know the pushback is. For a lot of us, we're like, if I admit that, it means I have to do something and I'm not ready to do something. That's gonna be extreme. And so, no, you don't. Just be honest with you, even if you're like, I don't have the courage to do anything about it, but you need to be honest because God cannot invade and move on your behalf as long as you are somebody that you are pretending to be. So even if you're like, I'm not gonna do anything, you still crack the door open for God to begin to work in your heart. But as long as you are lying to you, there's no way forward for you. 
And if you know that there is a pleasure that you keep saying yes to, and you are in maybe some cases, or you could in some cases, begin to undermine the people around you and the relationships around you that you love the most. Hey, mommy, why, why do you? Hey, mom, why doesn't mom? Why does dad? Why, why doesn't dad? Some of you have a girlfriend that wants to say something to you and she's brought it up before and she gets so shut down that she is sitting there agonizing over something that's going on in your life that is so crystal clear to everybody else, but she can't bring it up with you. Some of you have a husband and like he, he wants to talk to you about this thing, but you have shut it down so many times that he can't. You have a wife that wants to address it, but you've been, she's been shut down so many times. She's been humiliated so many times that she can't. And because you are lying to you, everybody around you is lying to you. Is there a pleasure that is slowly undermining your happiness? And here's the deal. If you continue to say yes to that misprioritized pleasure, you're a thief. And you are in opposition to Jesus' invitation when he says, listen, no matter how bad it's been or how far down this road you've gone, I am the good shepherd and I am for you. Would you follow me out and I'm gonna lead you in to everything that I have for your life and it is life to the full. But you've gotta start by acknowledging this. Is there a pleasure that's undermining my happiness? One more, as if that wasn't in your face enough. Is there a pleasure that is slowly imprisoning you? Is there a pleasure that is slowly imprisoning you? And you know that with every yes, you're slowly using, losing your freedom. And you already know what it is. I don't need to tell you. I don't need to give you a list of examples. I, I, you already know what that thing is, but there, is there a pleasure that is slowly imprisoning you? And here's what I can just tell you, which is with as much empathy. And I, I just, I'm leaning in so hard, praying for so many of you. But here's what I know for a lot of you. There's gonna come a time, there's gonna come a season where you would give anything to go back to this moment. And you're going to get to a later season and you're going to keep pursuing and you're going to keep going after. And then you're going to get to a place, in some cases, a place of devastation where you realize you're not happy. What you thought was going to bring happiness isn't bringing happiness. And in that moment, you're going to discover that you became your own worst enemy. And you sabotaged your own happiness. And in that moment, you're going to realize the reality that, in fact, you are a sheep and you need a shepherd. And my prayer is, and it's what I've been pleading with God over, is that for some of you, this might be the day where you begin to trade your misguided pursuit of pleasure for the good shepherd whose name is Jesus, who is offering you a life that is not ordinarily encountered. I think Jesus would say, and you see this all throughout the New Testament, and I constantly remind you, but I think Jesus would constantly go, hey, if you're on the precipice of whether I'm gonna accept that invitation, can I just give you my track record? Can I just give you my resume? The God that led Israel out of, out of Egyptian captivity, and I'm the God that, 
that through Moses stood on the edges of the Red Sea to go, could you please part so my people could go forward because I'm the sovereign creator God of the universe. And when I speak, it happens and I'm for you and I'm with them. And so I'm gonna make sure that I clear the path for what I have up ahead. He's the same God that stopped the sun for Joshua. He's the same God that led the Israelites to the edges of the most fortified city you can imagine. They were completely outmatched and with trumpets and words, the walls began to crumble to the ground. He is the God that rained down manna from heaven. And if that weren't enough, he's a God that came and condescended into human flesh and went up to blind people to touch them so that they could see and would just tell dead people, I want you in this moment to stop being dead. And they would obey and listen to his voice. And then if that weren't enough, he went willingly to a cross and he died and he was put in a grave. And then three days later, he decided to move that stone out of the way and walk out as a resurrected savior, validating everything that he said. But in that moment, that resurrection to life was not just his life. That was the validation that because I walked out of the grave, I'm offering you life. And nobody has proven more for you than he has. And nobody is offering you more than he is. He is the resurrected, reigning, ruling God of the universe who led out Israel, who came to planet earth to begin not just to heal the sick, but to heal the inner person of people who are not okay with themselves. And then everything he said he was going to do, he validated it. And now 2,000 years later, his megaphone to the generations is, I am for you. You never have to doubt again. Nobody else is offering you this. Follow me. So this is my last thing. It's like I'm a dude, right? And I know some of you, you have this, this I don't know what it is, like it's so crazy. Um, like I was a dude before I was a pastor. I know some of you disconnect that. Like I met a guy in Walmart the other day and he's like, I, I just never thought that you go to Walmart. I'm like, what do you think I am? Like what? So I say all that to say, like, I, I, I get it. I know you think I don't, but like, I, I understand. So I, I, think this is, um, I think this is applicable to a lot of us, but let me just speak to men as I close because that's what I know best. And I, I, here's what I know about us. Like, we're so good at this thing where we're not dumb. Sometimes we're dumb, but we're not, like, we're not dumb all the time. And so we hear something like this and we don't go, well, that's not true. No, that's true. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, most of what I said, you can't really argue with just from a human level but we don't do that. What we do is go like, oh, I need, I need to work on that. Like I should do something about that. Like, yeah, I, I need to do better with that. And all that is, and I'm really in your face today, but talking to me too, that's just disguised disobedience with a clear conscience. That's what church people are so amazing at. And it's what gives us so many problems in the surrounding culture. Cause they're like, you don't do anything that you say. Cause we show up and we feel feelings and somehow we feel better about ourselves. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I should, I need to do that. And then we walk away and we don't do anything. And all it is, is this mechanism of disguised disobedience with a clear conscience. So we don't do anything, but we feel better because we acknowledge that we need to do something. And I know us as guys, like you're good. Like we're good. Like, you know, your girlfriend's gonna ask you and you're gonna have an answer. Yeah, yeah like I need, to, I need to do that. I need to work on that. You know that your wife's gonna initiate a conversation on the way home and you're gonna have something to say. Like, yeah, you know what I was thinking? Like that thing, I, like that just came to my mind. I, I just need to do better in that area. And then, and then you're not gonna do anything. So I just wanna tell you this. To a large extent, men, you hold the happiness of your children in your hands. 
And I know some of you don't think that. I'm not talking about because kids off the rail, it's all your fault. I'm just saying this is just a thing. This is just true. To a large extent, men hear me, you hold the happiness of your kids in your hands. Your unborn grandkids. For some of you, if you're a guy 18 to whatever you are right now, and you're in this, this season of singleness, which is a great season, it, the future happiness of your wife that you haven't even met yet. And if you play this game, you ultimately lose and they ultimately lose. Even though you have a loving heavenly father that sent Jesus to say, you have a good shepherd if you would just turn in his direction. And so here's what I know about you as we close. For you to acknowledge and do anything, here's what, and I, this may be true of everybody, but I know it's true for men. For most of you, it is gonna require extreme measures. Men are not good at cutting things back. You gotta kill it. We are not good at managing things. You've got to destroy it. You've got to do whatever you can do where that thing pops up. And again, it may not even be an immoral thing, but it's something that is slowly undermining your happiness and it's sabotaging your future. And you've got to do something drastic today to go, I am not going to continue to go down that road any longer. And here's what I know. Your happiness is at stake. But in a lot of cases, the happiness of the people around you is at stake. And if you were to surrender and turn in his direction, the direction of the good shepherd today, here's what I know. It's gonna be a good day for you. But it's not just gonna be a good day for you. For a lot of you, it's gonna be a good day for the people that love you the most. It's gonna be a good day for the people who care about you. And it's gonna be a good day for the people who are depending on you. So Jesus says to you, it doesn't matter what the, the background and the passes look like. Follow me. So I just wanna give you three things. They're not even in the notes. But as I was studying, I, I think there's three things. Number one, you have been created for who? And so this is gonna require some relationships. The best thing that everybody could do is get in a community group when we launch those in just a few weeks in August and you've made all kinds of excuses and you prioritize all kinds of other things and you're trying to do this on your own, you're trying to manage, you're trying to cut back. You can't do it, you're not that great. You need relationship and you need people to do life with not one time or three times, but, but over and over and over again. You need to take the bold step to get into a group. But then with that, some of you also need additional help. You need one or two people that you can trust to talk to and just download some stuff. So here's where I am. Here's what I'm struggling with. Maybe it's as a marriage, as a couple, here's what we're struggling with. And we need to tell you about it so you can now walk with us through this next season. And then the third thing on the relationship front, is that a lot of you, you need to get into counseling. Not all of you, but you've resisted. You're not being honest with you. For a lot of you, this is what I found. You're just too proud and you need to go to the tent. You need to grab one of those cards. Our counseling ministry is, is a ministry of our church, but it's completely independent. Nobody, nobody reports to staff, completely confidential. And you need to begin to take a drastic step to go, I can't do this on my own. And I need people in my life. And then just two more things. You need to do something bold today. For some of you, you need to go cancel it. For others of you, you need to end the relationship. For others of you, you need to go back and go, we've got to quit these three things because we've misprioritized some stuff. Others of you need to go get a filter on something. You need to go apologize. You need to decide, I'm not going to go into that partnership. It's not right. And you already know, but you got to do something bold. And then the third thing, I think physically, if you can do it, you need to drop to your knees and you need to go, God, I cannot do this on my own. 
and even physically, this is a declaration that I am small and you are big and you are great. And let's just be honest, I'm a sheep and you're a shepherd and I need your power and I need your clarity and I need you to help me move through this. And I'm not just relying on some prayer that's magically gonna change things. I'm gonna do the hard work. I need people. I'm gonna do the hard work. I need to be bold. But then I recognize that ultimately, if this is gonna change, if this is gonna be different, I need you. And so I'm declaring right now my need for you. Help me, rescue me, lead me into the life that you have for me. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you're coming out of. This is the good news. Jesus is the good news. Jesus will say to you, I've been waiting and I'm the good shepherd. And so I just want you to stop being the own thief in your life. And I want you to say no to all the other thieves in your life. And you just need to know, I love you. I am proud of you. I see extraordinary potential in you, even if you don't see it. And I am giving you a promise that nobody else is giving you to experience life that is not ordinarily encountered. So follow me. So both campuses, with your heads bowed and, and eyes closed, forget that. I don't care if you bow your head or close your eye. If there's just, and I'm gonna end real quickly and, and the worship team's gonna come, but if you're at a place where, you know, I, I just need to take a step and I know that I've misprioritized some things and I've pursued maybe pleasure over happiness. And this is the moment where I just wanna surrender. And my only hesitation is that this can be kind of a false sense of security to think that you've actually done something and it's not. But here's what I know, a public declaration to go, I, I need to take a step is the starting place for the real hard work of I need relationships, I need community, I need to do something bold and I need to drop to my knees to declare my surrender. But at North and South Campus right now, if you would just say, there's a step that I need to take, would you just lift up your hands, a public declaration that is the starting place for where you need to go up ahead. Get your hands up. If that's you, I'm gonna give the Holy Spirit a moment to just work people over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Just wanna acknowledge you, yeah. I see you back there. Yeah. I know there's people at the South Campus right now, and if you just make some space, just allow the Spirit of God to do what He wants to do right now with as little distraction as possible. And would you stand to your feet? And I want to specifically pray for those that that this is just a this is just a first step. But the first step is to just be honest and acknowledge. So everybody at both houses, would you stand to your feet right now? North campus, South campus, would you stand to your feet right now? I just wanna pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you are the embodiment of good news. And I'm sorry for how we've twisted it so many times. I'm sorry for sometimes what we've talked about and preached and fear, and we haven't unleashed just the power that is found in you and found in your gospel, knowing that it is, it is potent and it's aggressive and it can change any human heart. And we don't need to fear it. We just need to unleash it. So in this moment, I just pray that your good news would be unleashed to penetrate hearts, to move and work in spaces and places that only you could do that. I pray that you would give courage right now in this moment where courage is needed. I pray you would give altered perspective right now where altered perspective is needed. 
I pray that there would be some freeing that would go on even in this moment, even though maybe we are technically in a prison that you wanna lead us out of, we already would, would feel the freedom of what you have up ahead as if it's already done because you're a God without space and without time. So God, there's a bunch of men right now in this moment, they need to surrender. So I'm praying that you would do your thing. And there's a bunch of women, there's a bunch of moms, there's a bunch of single people and 20-somethings and 65-year-olds on the verge of retirement and they need to surrender right now. There's people listening in places right now that we can't even imagine. And this is, this, is a, this is a sacred moment for them because it feels like you are talking right to them. God, just help them to lean and to listen to you. And I pray this in your incredible name. The good news life-offering name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.